this this last series on sons stand still faith. Uh, if I were to vote today, I would say it's the series of 2014 for me. And in listening to many of you, um, there's something about that that message we've had the last six weeks that has resonated. It's been so timely. It's spoken to Joan and I. It's affected the way we pray together in the mornings. It's affected um, uh, the way we think and things that we've asked God for. And uh, we've got some stories to tell that, that God has come through for us in these weeks. It's been an incredible series, and I've heard many, many people say, wow, write down. Uh, Pastor Jason must have been reading my mail because he was talking to me. So I'm thankful for that and appreciate it. And I know he said last week he was finishing that series, but what I'm going to do today, I've kind of borrowed his slide. This is sort of transitional. I'm not going to, this is not just a tag on from the last six weeks, but uh, something that has been speaking to my own heart that I want to share with you and uh, then hopefully uh, sort of provide a bridge for him into next Sunday. I want to talk about fearless confidence. And uh, let, let me just tie this together, though, with the Joshua story. Because when you go back to the first couple of chapters in Joshua, God says to that guy, he says two things to him repeatedly. Joshua, be strong and be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. You take time to study that out, and there's a, there's a message in that all by itself. Why would he say that? Because he knew that Joshua was going to be intimidated by this next assignment, and he was going to be discouraged at moments. And those two words were intended to help him push through the intimidation and the, the discouragement because what Joshua was facing was exactly what Moses and, uh, and his 12 spies had been dealing with 40 years earlier. Remember, they came back and they said, you know, it's an amazing place. I mean, look at the grapes they grow there. It's, it's incredible. I mean, we'd love to live there, but here's the deal. There's walled cities there. I mean, really, really thick walls that they can drive their chariots along the top of. And there's giants. These people are so big, we feel like grasshoppers alongside of them. Folks, nothing has changed in 40 years. That's exactly what Joshua's facing when he now sets to take the people in and possess the land. Be strong and be courageous. So I'm going to take you to a New Testament passage, Acts chapter 4. And there's a similarity between the two. And the similarity is that they need fearless confidence if they're going to do what God has told them to do in the face of incredible resistance. The resistance is there. It was for Joshua. It was for the disciples in the book of Acts. And you need something to help you get there, and the something you need is bold. Well, the, the word is boldness in most translations. I deliberately picked uh, the message translation because I love that phrase, fearless confidence, which is uh, Eugene Pearson's translation of that Greek word for boldness. So here's the story. We're kind of picking it up in the middle, but we'll fill in the, the gaps as we go. As soon as Peter and John were let go, they went to their friends and told them what the high priests and religious leaders had said. And what they had said was, if you keep on talking about Jesus in public, we're going to kill you. Are you talking about intimidating? Because these people were serious. It's like, hey, remember a few weeks ago what happened to Jesus? Well, you're next. And they weren't joking. So Peter and John were called in front of them. They were severely scolded. 
they were not just warned, they were threatened. And then they let him go and said, next time, it's over for you. So they went back and they reported this to the other disciples, the believers. And hearing the report, you got to love this verse, they lifted up their voices in a wonderful harmony of prayer. It's like you, just, you can just hear the sound begin to build in the room. And here's the prayer. Strong God, you made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. By the mouth or by the, by the Holy Spirit, you spoke through the mouth of your servant and our father David. Why the big noise? And this is going to sound a little strange at first, but we're going we're to work our way through it. And you're going to see how cool this is. So, okay, they're quoting David now. Why the big noise, nations? Why the mean plots, peoples? Earth's leaders push for position. Potentates meet for summit talks. The God deniers. The Messiah defiers. <laughs> He's just defining these people in, in their prayer. For in fact, they did meet Herod and Pontius Pilate with nations and peoples. Even Israel itself met in this very city to plot against your holy son, Jesus, the one you made Messiah, to carry out the plans, look at this, you long ago set in motion. And now they're at it again. So take care of their threats and give your servants fearless confidence in preaching your message. As you stretch out your hand to us in healings and miracles and wonders done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. While they were praying, the place where they were meeting trembled and shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak God's word with fearless confidence. Don't you love that phrase? And I'm not up here this morning because I am filled with fearless confidence. In fact, I'll be really honest with you, I'm in need of fearless confidence. And I think this is good company to be in because we can relate to these gentlemen right here and ladies who are praying this prayer and saying, God, here's the big idea for me in this. Even if you're doing what you know you need to do, that doesn't, that doesn't mean you're going to succeed if you don't have divine help. We've got to have something more than determination. We've got to have something more than skills and ability. We have to have something more than just purpose and direction. We've got to have God at work on our side or we are in trouble from the get-go. So I, I think the passage for me breaks itself down into four uh, points that kind of help us to understand how we can get to fearless confidence. So here's the first one from the, the first two verses, 23 and 24. Fearless confidence comes from choosing who you believe. Let's just review these verses. As soon as Peter and John were let go, they went to their friends and told them what the high priests and religious leaders had said, the threats. Hearing the report, they lifted their voices in a wonderful harmony and prayer. Strong God, I love this prayer. Strong God, you made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. They had a choice to make. Because there were two voices going on in their heads. And the one set of voices was the negative, saying, if you don't shut up now, we're going to shut you up. It was a threat. And it was a very real and viable threat to them. And they had to deal with the fact that they had a choice to make. So they could listen to those voices that were all around them, very tangible. I mean, this was, uh, 
This was their experience. These threats were only minutes old for them. They could listen to that, but they chose to listen to something else, and it's expressed in their prayer. Look at, look at this prayer again. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. Go to verse 24, Joe. Strong God, you made heaven and earth and sea and everything. It's as if they're saying, I mean, they kind of viewed this as three different planes. There's everything up there. There's everything on this level where I'm at, and there's everything down below me. And you made all of that. And you made everything. You made everything that's up there flying in the sky. You made everything that's roaming around here on the earth. You made everything that's swimming around down there under the water. <clears throat> okay, what are these other guys made that I'm supposed to be listening to? A lot of noise. They made a big deal out of themselves. So I got a choice. You know, I choose them or choose you. I mean, that choice was made long ago. I'm going to listen to them. No. I'm going to listen to God. So that's what sometimes we're facing, dealing with. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if some of you sitting here this morning have already applied this to some situation in your own life where you got those two opposing voices talking into each side of your head, and you got to choose what am I going to listen to. But fearless confidence comes from choosing who you're going to listen to. Uh, when we were fairly young in ministry, growing family. I think we were up to our fourth child by then, and uh, we needed another car. We had no money. And this is before the days of uh, minivans and SUVs. So what do you do when you have four kids and a growing family, and uh, and every every time they're within two feet of each other, they're poking and, you know, get out. You you cross my line. (laughs) Dad, make him move over. Oh, so you go out and you buy a station wagon, right? Remember those days? So this is back like, (laughs) this is so funny. So what I wanted was a Buick estate wagon. That's what they call them. I love the name. And specifically, I wanted one that was navy blue with the wood grain paneling on the sides and on the back. Oh, yeah. Sweet machine. I wanted one in the worst way. And I found a way to get one. I found one that had a diesel engine in it. Now, this is okay. This is built like in the early to mid-80s. Remember back then when GM tried his hand at building diesel engines? Oh, my word. It was a total disaster. So these things were noisy, and they blew out this black soot out the tailpipe. And, uh, but their worst fault was they kept blowing up. They couldn't keep these engines running. They, they were a mess. So the car sold really cheap because it had a diesel engine in it. So, uh, so uh, this is so funny because one, I remember one day, Joan came back from the grocery store. And this is in, uh, in mid-Ohio, right? Where rural Ohio, it, was, it was Amish country. So there's horses and buggies all over the place. They even had rails where you tie up your horses at the grocery stores and the business places. She comes home from the grocery store, and she says, I will never drive that car again. First of all, it scared the horses. (laughs) And then everybody was looking at me because the thing is so noisy. Uh, you got to love it. (laughs) So so here was my scheme. 
when I bought the car, I bought a, a, for $400, I bought an insurance policy on the motor. So if it blew up, I would get a gas engine put into it, and it wouldn't cost me. I already, I already paid for my gas engine the 400 bucks, right? So I was good to go. So sure enough, we're getting ready to take a, a family trip, and about a week out, the, the engine blew up. The diesel engine blew up. So I called the dealer where I had bought the car and that insurance policy, told him that. He said, uh, no problem. He said, I'll, I'll send over a tow truck, and we'll pull it in, and we'll replace that motor. And uh, so I started asking him about the policy and that sort of thing. I knew it, was, it would cost about $1,500 to put a gas engine in this car. So I started asking him about it, and he's, uh, you know, what, how do I know that it's going to work? And he said, well, the, the, you know, the fine print says this, this, or this has to be wrong with that engine. So what if that's not what it is? He said, that's not a problem. He said, uh, he said if, it's not, uh, if it's not broke where it's supposed to be, we'll break it there. It's not going to be a problem at all. And he said, if we can't break it, I got another one sitting here on my floor that I can ship to him that's broke where it needs to be broke. All right, so here's the backstory to that. This guy, this dealer, had been on national TV with a Christian, a Christian TV program talking about how God had blessed his business and, uh, and just he'd become wealthy and all this stuff, you know, and he's given all this money to the kingdom work and all this stuff. So this guy was a big name in the, nationally in Christianity. He's a, he's a car dealership. So, you know, I bought it trusting this guy, and these words are coming out of his mouth over the phone. If that engine's not broke where it's supposed to be, don't worry about it. I'll break it. And I'm going, I feel sick. Because I just had, I, I knew that it wasn't broke where it was supposed to be broke. It was something else. So I made a decision. I made a decision that I would lose my 400 bucks. I made a decision that I would pay, in addition to that, another 1500 to have somebody else fix the car. So you're thinking, well, good. So then you open the mailbox, and there was a check there to cover it all, right? <laughs> Not this time. So somebody, somebody paid for it. Somebody took care of it. Not this time. Our, our family sacrificed to make that happen. So what did you get out of it? I got one thing, confidence. That's it. But to me, it was worth that and more because I felt like, you know, I'm just going to trust. I'm not going to do something. I'm not going to participate in something I know is wrong just for my own advantage. There are times, I don't know where you're at right now, but there are times where just a simple decision, yeah, I'm going to do that. Nah, that doesn't work for me. And uh, it brings us, but you got to decide. If you want fearless confidence, you just go with God. You go with him, it's going to work out. I can't promise you your pocket's going to be full of money, your bank account's going to fill up, everything's going to be rosy. But I can tell you this, it'll, it'll, that confidence will grow inside of you, you know, God and me are, are walking this thing out together, and I'm going to be okay. So that's the first thing. Fearless confidence comes from choosing who you're going to believe. Second thing is this. Fearless confidence comes from remembering that God is never surprised. And that's what makes this prayer, this audacious prayer, so cool. And uh, so when we get to verse 25, um, this is the prayer. This is the middle part of the prayer, and here's how it goes. By the mouth of the Holy Spirit, you spoke through the mouth of uh, of your servant and our father David, and this is, begins the quote of uh, Psalm chap from Psalm chapter two. 
You can go there and read it for yourself. First couple of verses. Why the big noise nations? Why the mean plot peoples? Earth's leaders push for position. Potentates meet for summit talks. The God deniers, the Messiah defiers. For in fact, they did meet. So the, the, uh, the, the quote ends after Messiah defiers. And now we're back to the disciples praying. For in fact, they did meet. Okay? A reference to that quote from Psalm chapter 2. And, and it was Herod, and it was Pontius Pilate, and it was the high priest on, on Israel's side. I mean, you talk about unlikely bedfellows. Herod and Pontius Pilate were both Roman rulers, but they hated each other. They were at each other's throat. They're constantly trying to undermine each other. They're, they're always positioning for power. But in this one instance, when it came to crucifying Jesus, they were on the same team. And not only that, you've got Caiaphas, and you've, and you've got the, the, Jewish, the Jewish leaders, and they're joining in against Jesus. So it's kind of like, you know, if we have a common enemy, that makes us friends. It, it was that sort of thing playing out here where you've got people that absolutely, utterly hated each other, but they got together over their desire to do away with Jesus. And that's what we say in verse 27. They did meet. Herod and Pontius Pilate, with nations and people. you got Romans, you got Jews. Even Israel itself met in this very city to plot against your holy son Jesus, the one you made Messiah, to carry out the plans you set, you long ago set in motion. Pretty amazing. So this is, this is what I want you to get. When those words were written by David, I mean, these, we're talking about real historical characters here. Uh, David was a real king. And, uh, and we know that he lived about a 1,000 years before Jesus did. So here they are praying, and they're quoting this scripture that was written a 1,000 years earlier. And you read the whole, I mean, just read the whole chapter. It's about Jesus. And they get that, and they pray that, and it, like, nails the situation where they are. And then at the very end, they say, you're just doing something that you set in motion a thousand years ago. And we're here as witnesses of all that. So are we worried? Apparently you're in control, God. So, no, we're not going to sweat this out. It's about understanding that God is never surprised with anything. I'm going put this, to put this into your own situation and think about this. Um, if God is thinking about you in your situation right now, a thousand years prior, where, where would that have been? I mean, obviously, we're, this is previous to the space age, uh, before cars, before TV, before wristwatches and telephones and you know, so many other things that are going on. I mean, we're going back before railroads, right? We're going back before horse and buggy. Uh, we're, I mean, if, if you go back um, a thousand years, back it up from today, You'd pretty much be at, like in the if you're European roots in the feudal age. We're we're talking about castles and a king and serfs and horses and jousting and you know and stone walls around the area to protect yourself so you can you can go out there and grow your your food without being killed and I mean so think about back when all that's going on God was thinking about what's happening with you today in the space age, on the space coast, and he had it all figured out. He knew it would be exactly the way it is right now. That's what it was like here. 
And you're saying, a thousand years ago, you set something in motion, and we are witnesses to it right now. I don't know if that blows your mind a little bit. God is not surprised by the situation we're in right now. The other cool thing I really love about this is that the Scripture became the source of strength and encouragement that they needed. They went into that book, and they found two verses that said everything they needed to know on that day. All the time you hear Pastor Jason talk about, read your Bible. Read your word. It's about the Bible. Get into it. Read it for yourself. And I just, I just like to piggyback on that. I, I think that the answer you need today is somewhere in the Bible. You want to know how to make the Bible come alive? Just find that verse or that passage that speaks exactly to where you are right this moment. He said, that's a pretty big book. How am I going to find? How am I going to find that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at, look at the first part of verse 25. By the Holy Spirit. That's his job. Jesus said to his disciples, listen, I'm going to go away, but when I'm gone, I'm going to send to you a helper, the Holy Spirit, and he's like, I'm with you. He's going to be in you. And he's going to lead you into all truth. The truth you need for today, the Holy Spirit knows where that is in God's Word. And if you ask, I have a hunch, he's going to take you where you need to go in that Scripture. And it's going to address your need because God's never surprised by where we're at. I've not heard these words come out of Jason's mouth, but uh, and if I'm wrong, he'll correct us all next week. But uh, based on my experience and what I've observed from him, here's what I would say. Every week, he's saying, God, would you give me a message, put a message in my heart that will speak directly to the needs of the people that are going to be there this coming Sunday. And, uh, and it happens. The Holy Spirit will drop something to his heart. And a lot of times, you heard him say itself, he ends up living through some kind of experience that I think God arranges. And while he's there... He's thinking about scriptures that he's learned over the years, and something will click. That's the one. That's the verse. And then he's got a choice to make. You know, am I just going to talk about it, or am I going to walk this out? Am I going to live it out? And I'm sure for Jason, it's like that decision was made years ago. I'm going to walk it out, no matter what that is for me. That's why he comes here with a word. And then week after week, like we sit there and we go, oh, my gosh, that's, that's it. That's what I needed to hear. Well, that's exactly what's going on. The Holy Spirit is at work bringing us to the passage we need that was written 1,000, 2,000, up as much as 2,500 years ago. These verses were written, and at that moment, God had you on his mind. And he will, he'll bring that to you today. And people say, you know, that book is so old, it's out of date, it's irrelevant. No, 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 you don't get it. It's the cool part. The cool part is not only is it relevant What it says is God was thinking about you when it was written that long ago. And the whole purpose in that is to give us that fearless confidence that he's not surprised by anything. He's set it in motion. It's playing out today, and we are just participants in a great, great plan that he has already set up for us. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, what a prayer. So let's go to point number three. Fearless confidence comes from believing in supernatural favor. Hmm. And now they're at it again. 
take care of the threats, and give your servants fearless confidence in preaching your message. Verse 30, as you stretch out your hand to us in healings, in miracles, and wonders done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Okay, we've got to back up to the previous chapter. At the start of chapter 3 in Acts, this whole story is set in motion. And it starts with Peter and John uh, going to the Temple Mount at 3 in the afternoon, which was a customary thing. Uh, there was time to pay at prayer. They would gather there under Solomon's colonnade in that big open, like a 35-acre um, square that the temple was part of, and it was all on, on the Temple Mount. So that was their practice. They were there. So they were just heading that way, and as they went by uh, one of the gates, there was a guy sitting there. They'd been there for years and years and years and years. He wasn't able to walk. His feet were lame. Legs were lame. So he never got around it. People had to carry him, put him there, and he was begging. He just, that was his livelihood. You know, he'd beg for money. For some reason, as they walked by, this guy addressed them specifically, asking for money. And uh, something came over Peter, and he said, listen, friend, I don't, I, you know, pulled his pockets inside out. I'm sorry, I don't have any money. Silver and gold have I none, right? But I do have something I want to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk, man. And not only that, he didn't just turn and walk away and say, you know, deal with it. He reached down, took the man's hand, and lifted him up as though Peter believed something was about to happen. And guess what? That faith was transferred into that man, and he started to believe it. And he made a little bit of effort and suddenly realized he had capabilities that he never had before, got up on his feet and felt the strength coming into his legs and ankles and feet, starts walking around and gets his confidence a little stronger, actually starts jumping up and down, and then stuff started coming out of his mouth. It was all praise to God. I mean, it was amazing. So they go on into the temple area, and the guy can't, they can't shut this guy up. He's just praising God for this. They attract a crowd. People come around. Peter and John start talking about Jesus. Hey, I just want you to know, we just said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he got up and walked. So that's just God giving glory to his son Jesus. So all of you would believe, remember Jesus was crucified? Well, we've seen him alive, and this is evidence of his life, and he's just preaching Jesus. So that got attention, and pretty soon the temple guards show up, and some Sadducees showed up. And they gathered around them and arrested them on the spot and took them off to prison. But in the course of that, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, read through chapters 3 and 4, came to faith in Christ. Ticked them off really bad. The, the religious leaders. So that's when they made the threats. But that's the story. So when we get to this prayer, what we realize is, they already had experienced fearless confidence. In fact, if you go back to verse 13 in chapter 4, it says that. Because they're talking to the priests and the scribes and this whole council, the Sanhedrin, and those guys are looking at them saying, these guys are unschooled, unlettered, literally. They don't know their ABCs. They're uneducated guys, but look at them. And, and the Scripture specifically says they were amazed at their boldness, their fearless confidence. It's amazed. So that was in place in verse 13. Now we get to verse 29 and it's gone. What happened? Well, that's what the threats will do to you. That's what life will do to you. It'll take away, I mean, you've made progress two steps forward, one step back, sometimes three, two, three steps back. They were, they were, they either had lost that fearless confidence or they knew they were in danger of losing it 
And so they're praying that again. How did they get that in the first place? Well, God had done a miracle. The guy was, it, it was an undeniable miracle. And that's what made them so mad because they, there's nothing that they could say. This guy is walking around. And it was a true miracle. So they're praying, God, just do it again. Just show up. I, I love it. The prayer was, Kathy loves to say, this, God, show up and show off. It's what he did. And that's our prayer again. God, show up. It's, it's that prayer for supernatural favor that God would just do something that everybody knows, including us, can only be him. And he gets the glory for that, and it just points to Jesus and what he's doing. Um, when, when our oldest daughter, Melissa, was 16, I have this vivid memory. Um, it was after school one afternoon, and she was on the track team, and I went over to watch her practice um, at this high school stadium, and I saw her coming around uh, that back corner, uh, tall, thin, beautiful, I mean, blonde hair flowing in the breeze as she's, she's caught her stride, and she's running around that track, and I stood there for a moment, and man, the tears just started coming down my cheeks, because I had a flashback, and my flashback was when she was a baby, just three months old, uh, Joan had noticed it first, and she pointed out to me, so here's this tiny little thing. She'll look at her left leg. So here she is, you know, laying on her back, and that left leg is just pumping. It was in constant motion. Now look at her right leg. It was just, just there. She was barely moving it. So it's so odd. You know, there's no symmetry here. One leg's moving, the other one's not. So her three-month appointment was coming up, and we said, well, let's just talk to the doctor about it. So we went in. doctor said, uh, let me take an X-ray. So they did some x-rays. He brings the x-rays into the, into the room or a meeting, and he said, here's the problem. And he showed us right there. He said, see this hip over here, this left hip? See where the, where the socket is and, and the, the hip joint? said, that's the way it's supposed to be. See your right leg? It's out of the socket. The hip is out of the socket. And he said, he had a name for it, and he, he gave us the percentages, you know, X number of kids out of every 10,000 have this problem. And uh, he said, um, it's not going to go away. It's not going to fix itself. Um, I recommend surgery um, to fix that. If you don't do that, then you're gonna, she's going to have a problem with it her entire life. So here we are as parents. You've got to choose between do I want my three-month-old baby to have surgery or do I want her to have a problem her whole life? And uh, we were devastated. Uh, it, was, it was a bad day for us. And we just decided to wait a little bit, think about it, pray about it. Uh, as Joan was talking to her mom about it, she was concerned. Uh, so they were living, her parents were living in Chicago at the time. We were in Akron, Ohio. And uh, her mom had a visit with her own physician uh, that week, said something to him. And he said, you know what, I have, a, I have a colleague, a close friend, who's a specialist in congenital hip dislocation for young children. I mean, he talks, he goes around the world and he makes presentations on this stuff. He's, he's probably one of, if not the best, that there is. Uh, guess where he lives? Akron, Ohio. He said, I'll call him and see if he'll take a look at your grandchild. So he called him, and we got a call from the doctor's office saying, uh, you know, we can see her in about 30 days. You know, so we scheduled that appointment. We went in thinking, I don't know how we're going to afford this guy. <laughs> 
So um, when we're getting close, Jones said to me, what are we going to do? If he tells us we have to have surgery, you know, we hear the same story, what are we going to do? I said, I have no idea. But I decided for the, the few days prior to that just to fast and pray and just say, uh, God, we need your help with this. And as I was doing that, I felt this impression to witness to the doctor. And I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> I do not want to do that. God, you know my personality. That's not me. And this doctor, I mean, why? Can I go do this on the street somewhere with somebody I don't know or, you know? That's the impression I got. So I just decided, well, um, if it is God speaking, I'm going to try not, for Melissa's sake, I'm going to try not to mess this up. So uh, we, the day of the appointment comes. We went together, took her in. Uh, Dr. Vinci comes in the office, and he says, so what's going on? And uh, it said, well, you know, we worked with this other doctor. This is what this gave him the whole history. We, brought, we even brought along the, the, uh, the x-rays from that first appointment. And... Uh, and then after I went through that, I said, real fast, um, said, just want you to know we're Christians, and uh, we just really feel privileged to be able to see a doctor like you, but we only have a little room for God to do something here. I was done. <laughs> I, I witnessed. Okay, God, I did it. <laughs> Please give me points for that. <laughs> so... <laughs> So he says, well, let's go take some more pictures, and then we'll talk. So I carried Melissa back to the x-ray area, and because he was a specialist with young children, their x-ray table was actually a, a glass table that I laid her down on, and they took the x-ray from above. So um, we took clothes off. I laid her down on the table, and uh, I stepped behind this wall. It's supposed to protect me from the radiation. And just before the girl hit the button to take the, the X-ray, Melissa just screamed out. I mean, Melissa, Joan was way down the hall. And she said, what happened? It's like this unusual noise that came out of this little baby. So I, I jumped in there, and I comforted her. She settled right down and uh, stepped back again. They took the X-rays, and I went down the hall, waited, and eventually a doctor came in with two sets of X-rays. One that we had taken a month or so previously, the other doctor had taken, along with the x-rays he had just taken. He said, let me show you something. So he puts the first set of x-rays up there and showed us everything we already knew. He puts the second x-ray up there, and he said, something's changed. That hip is where it needs to be now. And uh, he said, um, he said I'm, we're not going to do anything. He said, I'll tell you what. If you will bring her back in 30 days so I can see how she's doing, I won't charge you for this visit. But he said, right now it's looking good. And this is what I'm thinking while Melissa's running around that track. So 30 days later, Jim, Joan takes her back in. He examines again, and he said, looking good. I'll tell you what, if you bring her back in 30 days, I won't charge you for this visit. Deal. This went on for six months. If you bring her back in 30 days, I won't charge you for this visit. We never paid a dime to see that specialist. And we never did anything but just enjoy something really special. Does God, I want you to know something. I'm not a miracle worker. I've prayed hundreds of prayers for people to get healed, and nothing happened. But in this instance, I still to this day, I can't help but believe 
that something happened on that x-ray table for Melissa that put that hip where it was supposed to be. So guess what happened? My confidence went up. And that's what happens when God steps into situations in our lives, no matter what they are. Our boldness comes. Look what God is doing. He showed up. And he showed off. Beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. So let's go to the fourth one. I need to wrap this up. Fearless confidence comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the last verse in the story, while they were praying, the place where they were meeting trembled and shook. Was it an earthquake? I don't know, but I do know this. They sensed God's presence in whatever was going on there. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is reminiscent of uh, chapter 2, right? Just two chapters later, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued, love that word, continued to speak God's word with fearless confidence. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what he does. And that's what Jesus said would happen in Acts 1.8. Remember? He's, he's getting ready to depart and go permanently to heaven. I mean, they said he'll come back again, but you're not going to see him for a while. For a season, he's gone. And just before he went, he said, listen, I want you to take this message to the whole world. Start right here in Jerusalem, and then let it ripple out, Samaria, Judea, and then to the whole world. Take this message. But don't speak to the first person about this until the Holy Spirit comes and gives you the ability, the boldness, and the fearless confidence that you need to do it. And so they waited, and that's what Acts chapter 2 is all about. They just, they just prayed, and they waited, and that Holy, the Holy Spirit came on them and in them, and they were filled with that boldness, and they went out. And, and you know, as they said in Antioch, these guys, this small group of people turned the world upside down because the message was so powerful and delivered with such fearless confidence. It's still happening. That's because that's what the Holy Spirit is. So it doesn't matter that that was in Jerusalem in 1 B.C. or 1 A.D. or if it's 2014 here, it's the Holy Spirit that does it. Those who are going to be serving communion, you can, you can prepare to, to do that. I just want to wrap up with this. God is about something. We sang it this morning. We believe in God who is three in one. If you need a father, you got a father in God. If you need a friend and a savior, you got it in Jesus who is God. If you need a helper, you have it in the Holy Spirit who is God. That's what this is all about. And that fearless confidence is because you have connected with God and God is connected with you. And no matter how intimidating your circumstances are or the voices you're hearing right now in the world around you, I just want you to know you can have fearless confidence in the midst of all of that. Would you bow your heads? I want what these disciples wanted. That is just for people to know this Jesus that they knew. Because Jesus changed everything. You're here this morning. Maybe you haven't taken that step toward him. And you're just ready to say, I want to invite Christ. If this is what Jesus is all about, then I... I want him in my life. I'd love to close the service by praying with you, and then we're going to have communion together and dismiss. But would you slip up your hand and say, Pastor Steve, I want to receive Christ into my life this morning. Maybe you've never done it before. Or you did a long time ago and walked away. This morning you're opening your life to Jesus. Can I pray with you? 
slip up your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Anybody else? Inviting Jesus into my life this morning. Start this journey all over again. Thank you, I see your hand. I, and I just want to ask you, after we close the service, if you go to the tent, we have a Bible there, we have devotion to give to you. Just love to just take a moment and uh, speak and encourage you before you go on your way. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, thank you. You're so alive and you're so real. And uh, you're not outdated. You're not irrelevant. You, you existed a long time ago, but you proved when you were hanging on the cross that you had us on your mind and you've set everything up to put us on this path of walking with you. And I pray that you would help us to do what we know that we are to do, that you would give us that divine help. I pray for those, Lord, this morning that are opening their life to Jesus in a brand new way. I pray you would come in, that you would remove the guilt, the shame, the sin, whatever is there that doesn't, that doesn't help, that's, that's getting in the way. I pray you remove that as you said you would by your grace, and I pray you'd fill that spot with your love and your hope and your joy and with the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this day of salvation, Lord, when everything changes because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.